Real Presence Live. That which is beautiful will manifest itself in truth and in goodness. Local. The challenges that we're facing in our generation, we just need the gospel. I mean, every every culture, every generation just needs to know how the gospel applies. Engaging. We don't bring any life at all to the church. The church is, is the life. It gives us the life. Live. The reality is, He is all things beautiful, capital B. And so anything that is authentically beautiful draws us, even if we don't realize it, to God. And good morning to you. This is a lovely, lovely Friday morning here at Real Presence Live. Uh, I'm one of your hosts this morning, Brad Gray. And I'm Janine Bitson, and we are just so delighted to be with you yeah, today. Absolutely. It's a, it's a great great opportunity, once again, to talk about those beautiful things that draw us to God, that uh, that warm our hearts, that, that fulfill our souls. Um, it's just, it's a privilege to have this opportunity. It really is, but it's also an opportunity to really speak truth, mm-hmm. you know, and who is truth? It's Jesus. Right. And, um, and, you know, usually we begin in prayer, and, and I just really want to begin with the gospel uh, today, because it's absolutely so where we need to be as faith-filled Catholics. Uh, Reading from the Holy Gospel according to John, Jesus said to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. You have faith in God. Have faith also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If there were not, Would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you also may be. Where I am going, you know the way, Thomas said to him. Master, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that just really struck me, and I know it's usually at Mass and the Mm. deacon or priest pray the Gospel, but uh, for our listeners, I just felt it was so important for you to hear that, because what is truth? You know, and you talk about the the good and the beautiful that is around us in this beautiful day, but the truth is... Can, is beautiful also, Absolutely. but it's also can be very hard, right? No doubt, no doubt, yeah. it's challenging for sure because we we are uh, we're dealing with a fallen nature. We're dealing with a, a concupiscence, as we refer to it in the church, a, a tendency to think that which is good isn't, and a tendency to think that which isn't good is. You know, mm-hmm. and so we get deceived, we get confused, and we have a weakness of will. So we have uh, an inclination also to to no longer choose the good when we see it. Right, right. And our next guest is going to speak to, you know, something that our society is really, really um, combating right now. And I'm really looking forward to having her join us. That's right. We are joined by Dr. Michelle Cretella, who is the Executive Director of Best for Children. Good morning to you, Dr. Cretella. Hi, good morning. Yes, I'm um, happy to be here. I'm the executive director of the American College of Pediatricians, and our motto is the best for uh-huh. children. So I got you. that and information. Our, no worries. You can get to our website by um, by www.bestforchildren.org. Fantastic. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thank you for no clearing worries. that up. Yeah. Well, and we are so grateful that you're here with us this morning. Um, You know, we all want to do what's best for our children. And no matter where they are in their lives, uh, whether they're a newborn child or 
um, adult child, our grandchild, and I'm just so excited that you're going to be talking to us about a very difficult subject. That's right, Dr. Cortella, but before we get started, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, sure, certainly. Um, so um, I'm, I'm a, a pediatrician who works full-time now as an executive director of the only uh, pro-life pediatric organization in the world. Mm. <laughs> we, um, the American College of Pediatricians was founded in 2002 by a core group of um, pro-life pediatricians committed to the traditional Hippocratic Oath of first do no harm. And um, we are essentially, we are not faith-based. We are open to any pediatrician or child health professional of uh, any faith background. Um, We are dedicated to the best available, promoting policies rooted in the best available science, um, under uh, following uh, the Hippocratic Oath of first do no harm. So as a result, uh, if you go to our website, you will find um, numerous topics tackled there. Um, we are most often attacked for being both pro-life and um, pro-counseling choice for those who struggle with um, LGBT beliefs and attractions and behaviors. Um, but you will actually find on our website uh, a number of helpful articles about parenting and, and normal child development and uh, dangers of, of marijuana and uh, as well as uh, media usage and so forth. Um, so I, I hope your listeners will come and check us out. Um, I practiced uh, as a general pediatrician for 17 years prior to becoming the full-time executive director in uh, 2012. Okay. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I have practiced in a variety of settings, um, cities, suburban, uh, in uh, Connecticut, Rhode Island, um, my training was through the Connecticut Children's Medical Center, uh, as well as uh, the University of, of Virginia. So, uh, and I'm also a married mother of four uh, adolescent kids now, between the ages of 16 and I guess, well, my oldest is 23. I guess he, he, he's going to venture into the real world as a mental health counselor in awesome. another couple months. Awesome. Oh, that's God exciting. Bless him. Yeah, Congratulations that's wonderful. to your family. Um, you know, could you just quickly just share that website for our listeners again? I know their ears have peaked now, and they you sure. know, just um, give them the website one more time. Uh, maybe a few times we'll do it through our, our conversation. Sure. So it's bestforchildren.org, and it doesn't matter. You can type in bestnumeralforchildren.org or best forchildren.org. Either one will work. We'll get you to our homepage. Awesome. Excellent. Well, you know, Dr. Cortella, you were talking about um, the Hippocratic Oath and doing no harm, and it's such a, it's such an oddly difficult thing, it seems, these days to identify what is, what constitutes harm and what constitutes help, right? There's, there's so many different narratives out there. And one yeah. of the areas that, that this becomes especially confused in our times is the question of sex and gender. So can you, can you begin by defining for us what is sex and is it the same as gender? Sure. So in all the life sciences, sex is defined by how an organism is structured to reproduce. So if an organism, is, uh, if an organism donates 
genetic material during the process of reproduction, that organism is called male. If the organism receives genetic information during the process of reproduction, that organism is termed female. So it doesn't matter whether you're talking about plants or animals, the organism that's structured to donate genetic material, so in, in, in mammals, mammalian animals, mammalian <laughs> animals, which, you know, human beings are, uh-huh. um, uh, some of our species donate genetic material. They produce sperm. That's what a male is, okay? Uh, males produce sperm. Females receive the sperm during the reproductive process, okay? So whether you are plant, animal, in all the life sciences, it's how you are designed, how you are structured, what biological role do you fulfill in the process of reproduction. That defines sex. So sex is a biologically defined physical trait. So that's incredibly clear. Um, It's incredibly clear, correct. Is that still commonly, I mean, is everyone still accepting that as as the definitions? So that is the definition, but people are not accepting it. Why? Because we are in a, we we are in a post-modern world Mm -hmm. that, um, let me back up, let's get back to the word gender. Yes, please. Gender did not appear in the medical literature prior to the 1950s. And this is because prior to the 1950s, gender referred to grammar. It, re- it meant masculine or feminine, and it referred to grammar. For example, in the Romance languages, if you just, we can pull out Spanish as an example. If I have a male friend, amigo. Amigo is the masculine form of friend. A female friend in Spanish is amiga. So gender referred to masculine or feminine applied strictly to language to grammar. In the 1950s, we had um, the growth of uh, within psychology of um, the field of sexology, and some sexologists John Money being one of the more infamous ones, mm-hmm. uh, wanted to justify experimenting on transsexual men, men who believed they were actually women trapped in the wrong body. And these sexologists understood that when you give hormones and perform surgery, you're not changing a person's sex. But they wanted to justify doing these mutilating procedures. Mm -hmm. And um, so John Money and colleagues pulled out of thin air a new definition. They said, we're going to grab the word gender, and we're going to give it a new meaning. We're going to say that we are treating, we're not changing, you know, okay, fine, we understand we're not changing sex, so we're not treating their sex, but we're treating their gender. And they said, we're going to say that people have an inborn internal sex identity called gender that can be different from the body's sex. So Hmm. that's where it was a completely made-up idea Hmm. to justify 
these perverse experiments. That's the history of, of how gender got manipulated. We had Before you have social engineering, you have linguistic engineering, and, and that's, that's where it started. Um, you know, and, and then later on in the 60s and the 70s, the feminist movement uh, redefined gender to, to mean um, a, a political structure rooted in sex stereotypes that kept women oppressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and additionally, from the 70s forward, uh, uh, queer theory uh, sort of used gender to combine, uh, combining sex stereotypes with um, sexual orientations. And it, it, so it was the, the queer theory that thrust itself into the definition of uh, gender that has resulted in supposedly over 112 different genders that people can, can um, possess. Wow. So, the reality is, we only need one word, the word sex, okay? Sex is a true physical trait rooted in what is an organism's role in, biological role in reproduction. It is determined by genetics at fertilization. Mm. Using the word sex, we can then say, okay, we also have biological sex differences, and in society, we have sex stereotypes that may or may not be true. Mm -hmm. There is no reason to have another word like gender, really, when you're talking about human beings. Human beings have a sex, we have sex differences, and in culture, there are sex stereotypes that may or may not be true as applied to particular individuals. This uh, this is incredibly helpful, I think, for many of us in terms of just drawing clear lines here because it, it, the waters yeah. have gotten so muddied. Uh, the right. language, the linguistics is so confusing yeah. uh, that's used yeah. these days. Uh, we're going to have to take a quick break, but on the other side uh, of the break, I, I think, I know I, and I, I hope all the listeners are, are eager to kind of go more into this. Like, how do we begin to, to navigate these muddy waters uh, sure. that, that only seem to get stirred up and more confused as we go day by day? Yeah. All right, so we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back with more Real Presence Live and Dr. Michelle Cortella on the other side of this break. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Hi, this is Dr. Ryan Sapo with Lumen Vision in Fargo. Lumen Vision provides eye exams for the whole family and specialty services like vision therapy and custom contact lenses. We offer a variety of frames with missions you can believe in, like Moto Eyewear, which gives away a pair of glasses to a child in need for every frame sold. We are so grateful for your support and grateful to be supporting RPR. You can learn more about our mission at lumen.vision. Lumen Vision is a proud sponsor of the Real Presence Radio Network. Does someone who takes their own life automatically go to hell? I'm Father Chris Alar. In 1993, my grandmother took her life, and for years I carried this burden because she committed a grave sin and had no time to repent. But the church states that certain mental conditions may reduce the responsibility of one who takes their own life. You are only eternally lost if you die in an unrepentant state of mortal sin. 
And for a sin to be mortal, three conditions must be present. And one of those conditions is complete free will. I don't believe many people freely want to take their life, so there is hope for their salvation. To learn more, please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost. And to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. Have you been awakened? Has Real Presence Radio impacted your life? Then you'll need to be sure and listen in May 4th through May 7th to our Spring Live Drive. Be on the lookout for our schedule to know when some of your favorite priests, hosts, and guests will all be on during this four-day family reunion. We can't wait to hear from you May 4th through the 7th for our Spring Live Drive. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. All right, and welcome back to Real Presence Live. We are having an important conversation with Dr. Michelle Cortella uh, regarding the, the whole question of sex and gender and, and uh, you know gender dysphoria, um, the, the trans belief that that's is is afflicting so many people and so much of our our nation not only our nation our world right now this whole inability to understand you know what seems very basic and, and upfront for many of us you know am i a man or am i a woman and, and and that's not to negate the intense struggle that many people actually have in this in the in the the feelings of gender dysphoria and the suffering that they can legitimately experience so dr Cattell, as we as we kind of begin to move the ball forward just could you briefly hit this this question of like so you kind of talked about gender so what is gender identity like what's that what's that right mean? so so gender identity is a term you know as I said it's unfortunate that gender was introduced was redefined and introduced mm-hmm. into the medical literature lexicon but essentially gender identity when when you look at how it was initially being used in the psychiatric literature simply meant your knowing your biological sex, and um, uh, Lawrence Kohlberg was the psychologist who studied this in children and identified three stages. He said the the majority of children by age three can correctly identify what sex they are, whether they are a boy or a girl. And then he he studied them further, and he said, you know, but it doesn't seem until they're um, age five that they begin to, they, they grasp that girls grow into women and boys grow into men. And then he also found that it wasn't until age seven, or maybe even some seven-year-olds, that they understood that sex doesn't change just by changing your clothing or, or, or appearance. Mm. So in other words, he found some kids age seven, six, five, who... You know, a boy put on puts on a dress, and they think, "Oh, he just became a girl." Mm. So he identified these different stages of, of how do we come to recognize the, the correct sex that we are, and the fact that boys grow into men, girls grow into women, and this is who you are. It's 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 a physical fact of life. It doesn't change across your lifespan, regardless of how you change your appearance. And um, in in general, he found that it was 
age seven or older, that that's when kids their their brain develops sufficiently enough to grasp the permanence of sex, and um, that is in line with um, the uh, decades of treating young kids with gender dysphoria. So gender dysphoria used to be called gender identity disorder. Mm-hmm. And simply that that's referred to children who um, thought they were something other than their biological sex. They were distressed. Um, so now we have gender dysphoria. Dysphoria means emotional distress. Mm. They're distressed. They feel at odds with their physical body. And um, prior to living in 24-7 transgender propaganda, okay, so from mm-hmm. the 1980s to 2013, um, a fraction of, I mean, far less than 0.1% of, of kids would even uh, show up with this complaint uh, to a physician or counselor. Um but it was understood, well, okay, if they are experiencing this under age three, well, gee, that's, that's actually within the norm. It's probably just going to be a passing phase mm-hmm. because it's not typically till age three that most kids can identify their sex correctly. Um, but if it was age seven or under, it was absolutely recognized, well, we're not going to do something to reinforce this confusion because we know the normal development of the brain is you're still grasping boys become men and sex is permanent, right? Girls become women and sex is permanent. Um, So it was understood and it was documented that families that reinforce the child's desire to cross-dress, for example, or um, those children were the ones who tended not to outgrow it. If instead the parents, the family, worked with the counselors to um, affirm the child in their biological sex and or try to get to the root of um, is there something, is there a dynamic in the family, is there, you know, what, what could possibly be causing this distress in the child, then the children were likely to outgrow this confusion. Mm. And it, in fact, the, the, the studies that were, that were done for, for all those decades prior to the 24-7 propaganda, which you find online, on TV, now, and newspapers everywhere, prior to the 24-7 propaganda, um, it was absolutely accepted that as many as 98% of gender identity confused boys would outgrow their confusion by young adulthood and as many as 88% of gender identity confused girls would outgrow it by young adulthood. Wow. That that was that was it and it was accepted that you do not reinforce the confusion. Um, this flipped most dramatically in 2013, because that is when um, the uh, American Psychiatric Association 
updated their, um, I, I use this in quotes, the psychiatric Bible mm-hmm. called the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental, um, Mental Disorders, 5th edition. And that's where they changed the name Gender Identity Disorder to Gender Dysphoria. And in this 5th edition, they essentially um, shifted, you know, they, they made it clear that the disorder is not the thought, the, is not the thinking. It, it's the, the disorder is the emotional distress. Right. So, you know... Um, so there's nothing biology, wrong with their thoughts. It's just like... There's nothing wrong with their thoughts. It's just, you know, we want to treat that their distress. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and, and the, the, those who shifted the, the terminology um, specifically stated, um, you know, there's, there's a philosophical uh, debate on this issue as to whether uh, we should really... This is a thinking problem or, you know... Anecdotally, there are adults who say they feel better after the surgeries. Mm-hmm. And, you know, well, we need to have a diagnosis so that insurance can cover the surgeries and the um, drugs for people who want to try transition. So, so it wasn't about science at all. It wasn't about science. It wasn't about reality. It was about mm, we want to decrease social stigma mm-hmm. and but we still need to diagnose them because we want insurance to and, pay for these and things. Increase accessibility in many ways. And increase access. Yeah. So it, it was not about you know, um, you know, really what you're seeing is a revolution of worldview mm. away from physical reality into this pagan Gnosticism. You know, where a human being is not body, mind, and spirit all together, mm-hmm. but rather, oh, well, you know, yeah, we're, uh, a human being, you know, well, we have this shell of a body and, you know, the, this essence, you know, that, mm-hmm. that, that can just float around and be separated from it. Now, that, on a philosophical level, that is what's happening. You know, our whole culture, it, it's gone from, it, we are a postmodern, post-Christian culture that is under the tyranny of moral relativism. That's the backdrop in which science um, finds itself. And when Mm -hmm. that happens, when that happens, science falls apart. And I I don't want to get... I I will recommend this book, which is also available. There there are several uh, YouTubes. I think it was featured on EWTN. Um, Tom Woods, Jr., is the author of How the Catholic Church Built Western Civilization. He does a phenomenal job going through how the Catholic Church not only built Western civilization, but birthed and built modern science. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I've read that book. It's it's phenomenal. Yeah, and and so this is what I, I try to get my fellow physicians and scientists to understand, you know, because they'll say, how is this happening? How are we in such a dark age in which we have doctors saying that some girls have penises and some boys have vaginas? How can we be here? I say, look, look, modern science required the Christian belief 
in an all-knowing, powerful, caring God who designed things according to number and order. Mm-hmm. You have to have the belief that we live in an intelligible world in order to even come up with the concept of the scientific method. And I, I don't want to get into more detail than, yeah. than to say, look up Tom Woods, How the Catholic Church Built Western Civilization. We've got to get that message out there, because ultimately it's, it's this um, very... Yeah, backwards pagan worldview that we're up against. You know, Dr. Gratella, we're so, so grateful that you joined us this morning. We need to have you back. Yeah, I mean, there, this is just... I'm kind of dying inside, honestly, uh, the fact yeah. that we have to come to a close here. <laughs> I know, this is just... Uh, we've only tapped the, yeah. the, <laughs> just a very I, small part of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah I apologize. I, I could give you, um, in a nutshell, what um, these poor children... Uh, sort of what what is contributing to this 4,000% increase in kids presenting with this gender dysphoria. And, um, I mean, essentially, as I alluded to before, we have just 24-7 propaganda um, in terms of this push for transgender rights. And um, I warn parents especially, um, they need to understand that... uh, the, the transgender agenda is not being pushed in sex education alone. It is being pushed with drag queen story hours at your public yeah. library. Yeah. It is being it's read everywhere. your preschool kids. And yeah. that's why it's, we need to have you back. I'm yeah. sorry. Okay. We're, we're getting yeah. ready to yeah, go no. on a hard break, but we oh, thank so you okay. so, so much yeah, no, for being here. We definitely have to get you back on to get into yeah. a lot of the nitty-gritty of this and how do we respond, because I think that's so Absolutely. critical. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Well, we are we are going to have to take a quick break. Uh, on the other side of this break, we're going to be back uh, with Steve Ray talking about the question of salvation. So stay with us for more Real Presence Live right after this. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. 